G'day everyone, it's Thomas Beecham here again for another episode of Take the Two. We had a superb first round of action last week, so tonight we'll be recapping each team's performance and looking forward to this week's suite of games. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the show, spread the word, and check out all the content on nrlnews.com. In addition to the match reports and statistical previews of each game, you'll find Ricky's new weekly article where he picks out the best player of every match across the round and provides a full breakdown on how it developed. Hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Well, good evening and welcome to another week of the Take the Two podcast. And obviously we're one round in, Tom, and it was a pretty exciting round at that. Yeah, it certainly was. It was a great first round to kick things off. Some up and down results for a lot of teams. A couple of little surprise packets. Teams that maybe we weren't expecting to perform as well as they did. And then on the flip side, some teams that were perhaps overestimating going into the season. Obviously, it's important not to overreact after one weekend, but it certainly gave us a great glimpse of what's shaping up to be another great season. Yeah, look, it certainly is. And obviously, we get started in round two with potentially the match of the round. Obviously, we have the Parramatta Eels and the Melbourne Storm out at Bank West on Thursday night. And I guess we don't really, it's probably not much that anyone can say about the Storm, Tom. I mean, that first half, led by Ryan Pappenhausen and Cam Munster in particular, they just blew the bunnies off the park. Yeah, that first 20 minutes was scintillating there. You had Cam Munster running the show alongside Jaron Hughes and Ryan Pappenhausen. Ryan Pappenhausen was exceptional. There were calls for him to be named as the New South Wales fullback after that game, and obviously James Tedesco had his chance to answer on Saturday night against the Mary Eagles, and he certainly did. But you know, Pappenhausen was exceptional around the show there with two tries, one or two try assists in there as well. And then for Parramatta this weekend, it's going to be really interesting to see how they bounce back from you know, what was a real up-and-down performance. I'm sure you agree, Ricky, against the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, you know, the definition of a game of two halves, that one. Brisbane exceptional in the first half. Parramatta probably their own worst enemy. And then uh, a solid second half performance to to get the win. Yeah, look, it certainly was. I mean, I think Brad Arthur summed it up perfectly in the post-game interview when he said, look, we just didn't respect the Broncos. And, you know, obviously we know what happened to the Broncos in 2020 and, you know, the, the turmoil that they had on and off the field, the fact that they, you know, got their first ever wooden spoon and, and all of that drama. And so, yeah, I mean, I... I think it was definitely a case of, you know, maybe not all the players, but certainly some of the players coming into it and thinking, oh, it's the Broncos. They finished last in 2020. This should be pretty sweet. And the attack in particular in the first half, the passes weren't too bad. I, I, I mean, I I thought the flow of the attack was pretty good, but at the same time, either the last pass wasn't sticking or it was almost a case that they were trying too hard to score points. Whereas, obviously, when you look at Melbourne, they make the hard seem effortless. So I think that certainly is, a, I guess, a good standard for the Eels to look to. And, I mean, we saw in the second half, particularly that last, what, 25, 30 minutes, obviously, they scored the first try through of the half through Reid Marnie, who obviously burrowed over from dummy half. And then pretty much, what, the next play, give or take, we saw the, the try to Clint Guthers and obviously, you know, Many people talking about whether David Mead played the ball or not. I think Henry Perinara summed it up pretty well when that went to the bunker that, you know, is even if it's not, uh, I guess, uh, trying to rake the football out, there is a an attempt to sort of interfere with the play as such. And he said that as he was breaking down that play, and obviously we know what happened there. And 
then yeah, from there the Eels just you know maintained the possession, had the ball, and I think what we're seeing in the current day and age of rugby league, Tom, is if you can hold on to the ball for sustained periods, you're going to be scoring points and potentially plenty of points at that. Yeah, 100%. I think there are a number of great performers out there for Parramatta. I was particularly impressed with Isaiah Papali off the bench, came on 200 metres, topped the run count for the match. So, you know, that's great signs there. He was probably locked in a little bit of a battle there with Keegan Hipgrave with Marada Niakore coming back into the squad this week. He's a great addition, had some uh, great form last season. And they're really going to need him this week because that uh, Melbourne pack really laid the platform for guys like Pappenhausen and Munster to uh, jump out and really get on the front foot. Yeah, the Eels, I mean, Eels fans have been critical for quite a few years at the bench. I guess hasn't. Obviously, we know what Junior Polo and Campbell Gillard can do as, as a one-two combo to start, but the criticism of the Eels' depth, in particularly at prop, was always that when the bench players would come on, the standards would go down and... Obviously, you know, Isaiah Papali said in the the the, the press not press conference, but the you know the press meeting that, that that all clubs and players go through every week. He said, "Look, obviously, you know, Brad Arthur's told both himself and Oregon Kafusi, you know, when you come on, it's about providing some you know some enthusiasm, maintaining the tempo that Junior and Campbell Gillard said, and I, I thought they did that. I think in many ways it was the impact of both of them." particularly towards the back end of the first half. Obviously, the Eels did go, you know, they were down 16-0 at the half, but I think the two of them certainly did a lot to at least get, you know, give the Eels some more ball, some more possession, and, and certainly show the Broncos pack that they weren't just going to sit down and, and die, basically. Yeah, 100%. I think the start's going to be really important this week for the Eels. We saw last week the South Sydney Rabbitohs just fell behind Melbourne, and Melbourne were able to just dominate the game from there on out. You saw them time and time again just kick to the corners, trap South Sydney in their own line, force them to work it out. and you know, There was just no attacking opportunity for them until Melbourne started to make a few mistakes later in the game. Out of all the teams last week, Melbourne led with the highest possession uh, percentage of 62%. So uh, the Eels will be looking to make sure to try and cut that down this week. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, obviously, look, I mean, I think it's... I mean, I've, I've thought this for years. The one team as an Eels fan... That or number one, they're our bogey side. Doesn't matter where we play, essentially, or one of our two or three top bogey sides. But you know, for the last four, five, six years, the one team that I've always looked at and thought, yeah, we're probably not going to beat them, and it's the Storm. And I think that's a testament to, I guess, their culture, to the players that they've got, the way they play. You know, and and that's pretty much what we've come to expect of, of both the club and of Craig Bellamy coach sides. Yeah, it's just that discipline. Made a couple of errors later in the game with that humorous one from Justin Olin where he just basically forgot to play the ball. But, you know, Parramatta made 15 errors last week. And if they get it, you know, if they get into double figures again, it'd be extremely difficult to get the win. But I'm particularly looking forward to the halfback battle this week. Mitchell Moses, the up against Jerem Hughes, two guys who have locked up their future recently with their clubs. And, you know, I'm sure they'll be both looking to really dominate the game and control the game for their sides this weekend. Yeah, they'll certainly be the, the little men in action, that's for sure. And, I guess it'll be much the same when we kick off on Friday night, Tom, with the Warriors and the Knights. I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I guess firstly, the the thing I'm really looking forward to about this game is going to be the battle of the forwards. Obviously, we know how dominant the Warriors forwards were with, you know, Fenua Blake, Bailey Sirenen, Lisa Narmau when he came off the bench against the Titans. And certainly the Knights showed that, you know, through Daniel Saifidi, David Clemmer, Mitch Barnett, that their forward pack is going to be one to... I guess really set the tone early. So this this should be an interesting game to see, you know, 
which forward pack can get even the slightest advantage to put their team in a good position. Yeah, 100%. And again, it's going to come down to discipline. Looking like the weather in Sydney this weekend is uh, going to be a little bit rough, so holding onto the ball is going to be paramount. And getting to the end of your set and putting in a good fifth tackle option. We saw too many teams last weekend uh, get to the end of their sets and just fail to put in that, that nice option and the nice kicking play at the end, and it really hurt a number of times. And you know, the Warriors completed last weekend at 91%, the highest of any team across the weekend. So over the last six to eight rounds of last year and obviously last week, they've really uh, come to be one of the most disciplined sides when it comes to holding onto the ball, don't make a lot of errors, and that's going to really help them this weekend up against what well, you mentioned, a very strong Newcastle pack. Daniel Saifidi, he was uh, outstanding his 100th game last weekend. I mentioned it in my match report, I think it was probably his 100th game, but it might have been his, his best out of all of them. Two line breaks there, and uh, he was outstanding alongside his front row partner, David Clemmer, who probably slipped under the radar a little bit because of Saifidi's performance, but he topped the run meters for the game with 217. So I'm sure they'll be looking to continue that this weekend. And then across the Warriors, really impressed with Adam Fanua Blake in his first game. He topped the 200-meter count. It'll be interesting to see how Adam Pompey goes coming in for Ewan Aitken in the centers after Aitken suffered that syndesmosis injury over the weekend. Really like to see a little bit more out of David Fuzatua this weekend. We saw him play a little bit of centre, a little bit of wing last weekend, and he's been named in the two jersey to, uh, to start this weekend. So uh, they'll be looking for some strong carries out of his own end and to really match the effort of Kemba Mawa, who I thought was strong last weekend as well. Yeah, sorry, Fuzzy Tool will certainly want to reach the heights of a few years back where he scored something like 23 tries in the season. And I think another interesting battle in this one, Tom, obviously presuming that they're on the same side because we know how often centre centre and centre and wing players can switch around at last minute, but we could potentially be seeing the young buck against the old ball in Petty Hiku and Bradman Best on the same side. Obviously, you know, we've, I guess we've certainly spoken a lot about Best both as a player and obviously from, you know, super coach perspectives and whatnot. And he's certainly coming into his own. Obviously, he's been cleared after he left the field last week with a potential ankle injury, I think it was, but seems like he's good to go. And I guess it's always interesting to see the younger guys fare up against the the seasoned veterans that have been there, done that, Tom. Yeah, definitely. I think that Peter Hiku plays an underrated role in that Warriors outfit. I think that his performance to end the year last year when they went on that run towards the finals and just missed out, he was superb. I remember that game he played against the Tigers at the SCG. He was outstanding down that left edge and basically won the game for the Warriors by scoring a couple of great tries late in the game. And They'll be looking for something similar this weekend up against, as you mentioned, Bradman Best, one of the most exciting young stars we've got in the game at the moment. I think Bradman Best really misses having uh, no Kalen Ponga on that edge. I think that Kalen Ponga really attracts so much attention that it frees up Best uh, and Heimel Hunt on his outside to have that little bit of extra space. Good thing for Newcastle that Kurt Mann's all right after he suffered a suspected uh, knee injury last weekend, but he'll be back out there. and I'm sure they'll be looking to command a lot, a lot more ball over that left-hand edge after the right really dominated under the guidance of Mitchell Pierce last week. Yeah, they certainly did, obviously... You know, Knights do have the luxury of going left or right, and they've got equally talented guys. And look, I mean, I guess the Titans are a team as well, Tom. Obviously, they played in the second match on Friday, the local derby against the Broncos. They too have the luxury of going left or right and having talented players at their disposal. Obviously, you know, the end of the day, they probably didn't capitalise on their opportunities. And I guess they weren't rolled in the middle, but they were certainly not at their best, apart from Faso Malayawi who had a pretty good debut for the Titans. And, you know, we, we saw what the Broncos did in the first half against the Eels, Tom. But I think in this one, I think when, given that the Titans last year, they were the Queensland side to finish the highest of the three. And 
obviously we you know we know what their new recruits can do i think i think holbrook might have a bit of fire in the belly for his his troops in this one especially given that's the first time david fafita is going to go back up or up against his his old club and i guess more interestingly tom and we only found this out a couple of days ago is that david fafita was in in hospital with a with an infection for almost three days and still came out wasn't too bad played 70 minutes so you know with with the week of training under his belt you can bet he's going to come out ready to go up against his former side yeah certainly i'm sure that he'll be looking to pump out 80 minutes this week and yeah the the grudge match it's going to be an interesting one i think that while we're just talking about the warriors who i think were one of those sides that were a little bit underrated going into the year and really liked them to continue their form into this week it's going to be up to justin holbrook's men to really turn things around they had a lot of wraps on them coming into the season we spoke about uh, in our season previews how important the start was going to be for them because the pressure is really going to fall upon Holbrook and his players if they lose this weekend up against Kevin Walters Broncos, who, as we were mentioning earlier in the, uh, when we were talking about the Eels, came out fit and firing in that first half and really shocked a number of pundits. thought Anthony Milford looked sharp in his first game back. He you know, had a very down year last year, as we all know, and I think that he was strong to start the year. Linking up there was Xavier Coates and David Mead. Uh, that nice little kick he put in for Coates down the right where Coates ended up in a hospital. That was a, you know, an outstanding little play out of nowhere. And they're the little areas that he excels in, those little off-the-cuff moments where you know, play might break down and he can just create something out of nothing. And you know, It's great to have Brody Croft alongside him who can just be that controlling force throughout the game. And It's good to see Xavier Coates and John Asiata both cleared of any serious damage. Obviously, Matt Lodge is going to miss a couple of weeks after that hamstring injury, but they've got a nice replacement there in Tom Flegler who can kind of come off the bench and Reese Kennedy straight into that uh, interchange lineup. Really like the look of Phil Sammy uh, coming back into the side. Obviously, he was left out last week for the Titans, and he'll replace Brian Kelly, who's got a broken hand. I think that they'll be leaning again on Fafita and Fasul Malawi to lead the way and really lay a platform for guys like Taylor and Fogarty to uh, get on the front foot and you know put on some attacking plays for the outside backs. We all know they can do it, the Titans. We saw it at the back end of last year. It's uh, time for them to aim up this weekend. I'd really like to see them use that high-kicking game a little bit more uh, we've got Anthony Don, one of the best aerial specialists in the game, and they really didn't kick to him at all last week. There are you know, a number of times just some bit of nothing kicks on last tackle. Yeah, they'll certainly want to score some more points. And I guess a team that has probably struggled for points in recent memory, Tom, is the Canterbury Bulldogs. Obviously, you know, they, they did look a lot better with Kyle Flanagan, I guess, running the show. Obviously, we know what he can do, and we know how talented he is. Talented he is. Obviously, you know, there are limitations, I guess, as well, given that, Arguably, the, arguably their best forward in Luke Thompson is still out with suspension because of the eye gouge from last year. And look, I mean, they weren't terrible against the Knights, but I think it probably showed that the doggies are—they are going to be better, but they're probably still not in that sort of category of, you know, pushing the the sides that are expected to perform well. And it doesn't get any easier against Penrith this week. Who it must be said, Tom weren't overly convincing against the Cowboys. No, they certainly weren't in attack, but they got it done in defence. And, yeah, I think that's a little bit of an underrated aspect of, uh, of the Panthers' run last season. Everyone knew about their outstanding attack, that left edge of Luai, Kickout, Crichton, but their defence was outstanding. They were alongside Melbourne, one of the top two defensive teams across the season. And that defensive play is really what enables them to get on the front foot and get into the attacking positions where they can use the firepower that they've got. Really like the look of the additions across both sides last weekend. We saw Matt Eisenhuth, he looked solid there. Uh, most tackles for the Panthers at 32. 
I like the move of Brian Toto over to the left. He looked sharp last weekend in linking up with Stephen Crichton and Jerome Lua. I think that combination of Lua and Toto is going to do wonders this season. And then across at the Bulldogs, well, it didn't quite gel. I thought a number of their new additions looked solid. I thought that Kyle Flanagan had, uh, was strong in his first game, had two or three try assists there, that nice first pass uh, across to Dalman Matani Zalesniak for the opening try of the match. Jake Avrilo looked to ride at 5'8". You know, probably wasn't his, his best game, but it would take some time for those combinations to develop. And then Nick Kotrick was strong. He went the way in uh, run meters for the Bulldogs at 158. And, you know, I'm sure they'll be looking to further build on a number of new combinations across the year. And I think that they'll be working uh, working up towards 2022. You certainly wouldn't expect them to get the result this weekend up against the Panthers. But, you know, I'm sure they'll be looking to keep things tight for any of the punters out there who like to get on the, uh, the home team at the line. You know, that could be a strong strategy, especially if it's wet this weekend. Yeah, we certainly know that wet weather footy can nullify any good attack and obviously that'll be something that both sides want to look out for and I guess not unexpectedly Tom we do see Brad Dietz drop out of the side obviously Jeremy Marshall King is back and I guess for anyone that is wondering why Dietz is the one to make way and I guess why Katoa may not come out because Bradley Dietz is a development player they can only play prior to round 10 I believe it is if they get a special dispensation from the NRL. So obviously now that the second of the Bulldogs two frontline hookers are fit, it means that Brad Dietz is effectively now a development player again and can't play NRL unless there are, you know, more injuries in the hooker department for the doggies. But look, I mean I thought for his debut for the the twenty six year old teacher as all the all the news articles were saying, Tom, it wasn't wasn't too bad. Yeah, he looked solid, twenty seven minutes. Yeah, did his job there in the middle. He just played a critical part of that interchange rotation. And it was interesting to see how that one played out last week. Off Higgy Ogden getting the start uh, last week for 51 minutes. So, you know, he's not going to be relied on for for big minutes. And they'll be uh, using Renoff Tony and uh, Raymond Fatale Mariner and Dylan Napa to, to give him a, a nice spell throughout the match. Dylan Napa, interestingly, only played the 17 minutes last week. So I'm sure they'll be looking for him to increase his output moving forward and um, really try and work his way back to that starting spot. Yes, certainly some good things for the doggies. And I guess for the Manly Seagulls, Tom, obviously they're playing 5.30 against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. It was not a very good start to their season by any means. And I guess you look at, I mean, I mean for both sides, obviously they lost in round one, but probably the two biggest talking points out of this one, Tom, are Cade Cust is back, obviously, after his scoring the hat-trick for Manly's feeder side, the Blacktown Workers Seagulls in their win in the New South Wales Cup, and after one game, Wayne Bennett's come come through the set, well, through the back line at least with an axe, and said, "See you later, Josh Mansour, and come on down, Jackson Paulo." Yeah, I was really surprised to see that. You know, often, quite often we see a uh, number of coaches wait a couple of weeks to make changes. They don't like to admit that their round one lineups were wrong, but you know, I'm sure um, in a similar vein to what Todd Payton said in the press conference last week for the Cowboys, uh, you know, coming out and making a statement about Jason Tamaloa, I'm sure that. Uh, Wayne Bennett's really just trying to set a standard for his players, demonstrate that no one's immune and that uh, you really need to see more uh, moving forward if they want to get the wins uh, on the board and really, you know, live up to the reputation they've built as, you know, uh, one of the leading sides in the competition. Mansour only 59 metres last week on 11 runs. We know he's better than that. You know, we know what an important piece of the puzzle he is in moving the ball off their own defensive line, especially considering that Latrell Mitchell perhaps doesn't uh, quite have the work ethic that uh, some of the other fullbacks around the league have. Mitchell, I thought, was strong last week, though. 19 runs for 180 metres. Obviously grabbed that try in the second half as well. And, 
AWOP strong, and it's going to be that combination with Cody Walker down the left edge that's really going to determine their success this year. Alex Johnston on the wing, finishing things off yet again for the Bunnies. And thankfully for Wayne Bennett's men, I think the task gets significantly easier this week against the Manly Seagulls, who I think I would argue were the worst team on the park last weekend. Obviously, we know that they're they're suffering from the injury of Tom Trebojevic and Dylan Walker, interestingly, has retained his uh, fullback position. I know there's a number of Manly fans out there calling for Morgan Harper to get a run or to beat a Funer even at the back. But I uh, know Walker gets the gets the spot again this week, and I'm sure that uh, Des Hazard will be looking for something a little bit more from his side. They had the second most handling errors last weekend, which is impressive considering they didn't have the ball for a lot of the game. So they'll need to sharpen up defensively this week because uh, the Rabbitohs are going to put up a very similar score one to what uh, the Roosters did if uh, Manly put up a similar performance. Yeah, could certainly get ugly. And I guess with the Bunnies, Tom, obviously, you know, we spoke a bit about it, in obviously, in a few weeks back when we were doing the season previews and whatnot. And, you know, you mentioned, I mean, we've mentioned how good this Storm Pack are. It feels like the Bunnies, they're very, oh, again, people may think differently, but they seem quite soft in the middle, Tom. And I think we saw against Melbourne just how easily the likes of, you know, Jesse Bromwich, Christian Welch, Asafa Solomona, and even out on the edges to a lesser extent, just how easily the Storm attack was able to manipulate the South soft middle defence. And obviously, you know, the way Manly played, it's obviously not going to be at the Storm level. But I think if you're South, regardless of the opposition, it probably has to be something they need to look at fixing ASAP. Oh, certainly. And while Manly might not have the attacking flair of the Melbourne Storm, They've certainly got a strong pack. You've got Josh Aoye there, Martin Tapao, Andrew Davey comes into the starting lineup this week for Jack Kajewski, Kurt Sirenen there, and Jake Trebojevic. You know, that's arguably a representative quality forward pack over the last few years. So, you know, it's going to be really up to guys like Tom Burgess, Tavita Totola. We see Ke- uh, Keon Kolomatungi come into the starting side this weekend, which is good to see. Jai Arrow looked particularly strong off the bench. I thought that he had a great debut game. Uh, there last week against Melbourne, he racked up 19 runs for 176 metres. Outside of Wittrell Mitchell, he led the Bunnies in run metres. So they've just got to get a good start this weekend. We saw them come out of the box really slow last week. Uh, in a similar vein to uh, what Brad Arthur was talking about with the Eels, they just need to show Manly some respect out, out of the box, and I'm sure they'll be right for the rest of the game. Yeah, you certainly have. So I, I think even if the next couple of games don't go in Manly's favour, I, I mean... We saw what he could do at the back. Well, his one game in, in 2020, obviously, before he got injured, he looked looked the goods. I think Manly need to look at getting Josh Schuster involved in that side somehow, just to bring in a guy with a bit of, you know, a bit of exuberance, a bit of flair, and see how that can mix up their attack, whether he starts in the 14 or not and comes on and, I guess, plays a hooker a bit or more of like a roving sort of role. But, you know, certainly... Could be another cricket score for Manly if they're not careful this week. So they need to start looking at plan B and plan C if they're going to try and salvage their season. Yes, certainly. And while Kieran Foran, he's been a great player, champion throughout his career. You know, he's a solid defender as well. I just don't see the benefit of having him in there. I think that Schuster provides everything that Foran provides and more. He's slightly more dynamic. He's got a great running game. He's more durable. I'd love to see them walk towards the future and go with Schuster. And even a guy like Morgan Harper, as we were mentioning earlier as well. I know there's a number of Manly fans out there you know, calling for these changes. And, you know, if, if Desi doesn't make them soon, I think there's going to be a bit of an uprising there at Bookie. Yeah, you can say that again, that's for sure. And, I mean, obviously, you know, we move on to the final game of Saturday. Again, two sides that did lose in round one. Obviously, it's a bit, a bit of an interesting game, Tom. I mean, obviously... 
you know, both sides had their downfalls in, you know, the Cowboys, obviously. I think the combinations or the this testing of, you know, like Tabuai Fido in the centres, which baffled all of us. Val Holmes, who is on the wing, but most people think he's a better fullback. Obviously, the decision to, you know, I think Jason Tamalolo played 51 minutes. Todd Payton comes out at the post-match, post-match press conference and publicly, publicly criticises his best player. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing remains to be seen. And it's it didn't look good from the Cowboys' time in that game against Penrith. Obviously, you know, we said that Penrith weren't at their best by any means, but the Cowboys certainly didn't look like they were going to trouble the Panthers at all. No, certainly not. If you go through all the teams from last weekend, the Cowboys ranked last in terms of run metres. And, you know, just to give a little quick comparison, the Roosters topped the weekend with 2,079 run metres and the Cowboys were over 700 metres behind that, just over 1,300. So you're not going to win many games with that sort of uh, output. And Kyle Felt led the way uh, with just 118 metres. As you mentioned there, Jason Tamalolo, he'll be really looking for a bigger performance this week after... He was criticised by Coach Todd Payton after the game. I'm sure that Todd Payton was really just trying to send a message in a similar vein to Wayne Bennett that you know, no player in this lineup is safe. It doesn't matter if you're on a training trial or a development contract or whether you're on your $10 million to a 10-year deal. You know, everyone's got to perform in this club if they want to get wins on the board. And, you know, if the Cowboys play like they did last weekend, they're not going to get many uh, wins up this season. I'd really like to see uh, either Hamiso Tabuifito or Val Holmes take that spot at the back. Scott Drinkwater, he just wasn't offering enough for me last weekend. I think his best spot is in uh, that 5-8 throw with Michael Morgan at halfback and Jake Clifford out of the side. We saw Ruben Cotter off the bench. I'd love to see him get more involved, particularly in the hooker position. You know, I guess the question is, do they really need to be carrying Jake Granville as well on that bench or could they use an extra forward to get those extra run meters and sustain the pressure throughout the game because Penrith just ran right over the Cowboys and you know, they just never had a chance. They were never in the position to score any points. Uh, and that manifested itself on the scoreboard. On the other side, the Dragons. It'd be interesting to see how they go this weekend. I thought Terrell Philly Mayona was outstanding. After I've been calling for him to be in the starting squad for the best part of a year, he finally got his chance and delivered. It'd be interesting to see whether they persist with the Josh Kerr experiment or whether he'll perhaps find himself on the bench soon. Andrew McCulloch was solid. 64 tackles for the game. He made double the tackles of any player in the Sharks lineup during that game. So I'm sure they'll be looking for a similar performance from him this weekend. Paul Vaughan was solid over 200 run metres and Matt Duffy was electric in scoring that try in the second half. Yes, and that was you know, a very good try for Matt Dufty. And obviously it was the, the, um, the, 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 I guess the try that I picked in, my, in the, you know, a new NRL recap or highlight section that we did obviously – you know, that wasn't even a case of bad Sharks defence, just the speed of Dufty was just way too much to handle for Jack Williams and Aiden Tolman, obviously two bench forwards for the Sharks. And look, I think the Dragons, Tom, I think they weren't bad for the most part. I think I thought they, they showed that they can be resilient. Obviously, you know, that's probably down to Anthony Griffin as well because we know that his Broncos and Panthers sides in the past have certainly shown that level of resiliency. And look, I mean, I think they were unlucky not to get the win. Obviously, that uh, Cody Ramsey no try was probably the biggest talking point. And I I think for me personally, I didn't have any dramas with that because I thought the touch-off bird actually went backwards. And obviously, if they score that, that changes the game completely and, you know, brings in into question, I guess, this whole you score the try 
players and fans celebrate and then the ref says, no, sorry, they're still having a look at it. And you kind of, you know, second guess yourself straight away. But I think there's a lot there for Dragons fans to be happy about. Obviously, they can be better, of course. But, you know, certainly it wasn't that the Sharks were that much better. It was obviously just more a case of, I guess, number one, that unlucky decision and probably the Dragons maybe not executing as well as they could have in the end. Yeah, certainly. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the new rule change. Uh, just quickly on that, I thought they really sped up the game and, you know, really allowed for those big moments to, you know, play themselves out fully before we got to the the via referee decision. And then for the Dragons, I think, you know, you've only got to look at the stats here. Errors, 15-5. to five. Penalties conceded, 3-1. to one. Uh, It's just their discipline. If they can fix that up this weekend in the wet against the Cowboys, uh, that'll go a long way to them winning the game because, as you mentioned, they didn't look that bad with the ball. Dufty was solid. I think he put any doubts about his spot in the fullback role to bed. And then uh, they've got plenty of strike power out wide with guys like Cody Ramsey and Michaeli Ravalawa. Yeah, I, I think the one thing I would love to see the Dragons do more, and I mean, I guess this goes for even the majority of sides, Tom, is one of your edges has one guy that can potentially change the game for you. Obviously, for the Dragons, I think that's Zach Lomax. And I thought they didn't get the ball to him enough. Obviously, you only have to look back at last year. Can't remember who it was against, but I know his tries in is one of those new Defy Impossible NRL ads that you know that that try where the kick has gone up and he's leaped something like 2.31 meters in the air to catch the ball and then pass it to I think it might have been Dufty to score and it's like you said with Anthony Don when you have a guy that is that good in the air and obviously not just in the air obviously on the ground as well we we've seen what Lomax can do with a you know a Gidley esque flick pass to to his winger. He's the sort of guy that you need to get him more involved in. I was surprised that the Dragons seem to they seem to opt more for Jack Bird's side rather than Zach Lomax's side. Yeah, it is surprising, especially when you consider that Corey Norman was out as well. So Adam Kuhn was was really running the show down that left-hand side. I'm sure Ben Hunt will be looking to step up. I know that, we've saw, that we saw him come out in the media and say that him and Andrew McCulloch were using a couple of the old Broncos calls from back when they played in the 2015 Grand Final together and uh, you know, I'm sure they'll be looking to emulate some of some of that attacking play because that was a scintillating season for the Broncos. So, you know, they probably don't have quite the cavalry there to uh, to replicate it, but I'm sure they'll be looking to, you know, go right a little bit more this season, as you said, give, give some of that ball to Zach Lomax, who, for me, is not that far off at Origin Centre. Yeah, it certainly is a play that Dragons fans should be excited about with the ball in hand. And I guess if Roosters fans are excited, Tom, Tigers fans like yourself, probably not so much. The first half you weren't too bad. I think it was what six all at the break, or was pretty cool. If not six all, pretty close. Where did it go wrong in the second half for the Tigers? Yeah, it was pretty much that first ten minutes, and that one word that we've been mentioning all night just came down to discipline. Unfortunately for the Tigers, they were just their worst, or their own worst enemies throughout the match. Funny enough, the Raiders actually made more errors. It was 14-13, very swappy game, five to six in the penalty count. But it was just the positions that the Tigers made the errors in. Obviously, uh, coming out of the, into the second half, Jack White puts the kick in and Luke Garner takes him out. Ryan James scores off the next set. Tigers put the kick out on the full and then another one or two errors after that. And uh, Once the Rays kicked out to a lead, it was just too hard to, to run them down. The king of the uh, forced offload inside the 10 when it really is not Joey Leilua. He was at his, uh, at his finest on the weekend, unfortunately. He was thrown in left, right and centre. And unfortunately, James Roberts uh, copped a fair few few dud passes there as you, as you mentioned I thought the defense was sold in the first half and you know I thought the Tigers really had an opportunity to go on with it in the second but 
you know, they'll have to maintain that defensive discipline in this week up against the Roosters, who are, in my opinion, the premier attacking outfit in this call. Yeah, you wouldn't have many argue there. And I guess, I mean, on, on the obviously, we, there's not really much to say about the Roosters. We know how good they are, how good they have been. The players that they've got, obviously, they'll miss Angus Crichton for a week, but they've got a promising talent in Nat Butcher coming in and won't affect their makeup too much. But on the Tigers, Tom, I want to get, obviously, as a Tigers fan, your thoughts on two aspects. Obviously, the first half defence was great. The second half defence, not so much. Obviously, you only have to look at the the Jordan Rapana try that Joseph Tarpany broke something like six tackles or something well, you know, from six different players too. So, obviously... You know, the goal line defence, I guess, is still a concern. And I guess the second part is more promising. I thought I saw someone mention that, obviously, we know that, obviously, Luciano Lalu on the left edge is, you know, a talent, a talent and a half. But the try that you scored, obviously, you know, we saw Luke Brooks take the line on. He cut the ball back inside. And it was Jacob Little that was there on the receiving end. I thought that was actually a... I don't know if it was designed that way or not, but that was actually quite a smart play. Is obviously, you know, Brooks was able to, I guess, draw in that extra forward and he got the ball away and, and the gap was there. Is it those sort of little things that you'd like to see more of as a, as a Tigers fan in attack, not just from Brooks, but in general, rather than trying to, I guess, pound it through the middle or pound it on an edge when it just doesn't seem to be working? Yeah, certainly. But at the same time, I'm not reading too much into the attack last week. Uh, we know that Adam Dewey's been training at 5'8 for the whole preseason, and you know just having Moses Zemba in there was never going to be the same. We know Adam Dewey brings strong running game. You know he's he's got a nice little cutout ball that we saw in the last round of last season. I'm really looking forward to him playing on that uh, left edge. We saw Luke Brooks sweeping both sides of the field last week. I think that's a really positive thing for him. Uh, he'll be looking to take control of that side in 2021 and um, really controlling the attack. And I'm looking forward to watching it. A really interesting one this week in the team list for the Tigers is that they've listed Moses Embi in the 14 and Tommy Toao in the 17. Don't know if that's going to stay like that for uh, for game day, but I was a little bit surprised that a guy like Michael Cheekan perhaps didn't take the last spot. And uh, we saw either Embi or Toao drop out of the side. It'd be interesting to see how Michael Maguire opts to utilise Toao. Embi is probably going to come on and spell Jacob Little, who played 80 minutes and really great sign last week. As you mentioned, had that try in the first half, but... It was great to see him get a good hit out after his extended way off with the ACL injury. So it'll be interesting to see how the rotation works out this week. I thought Stefano Utoikamano and Thomas McKelly were strong off the bench. But as you mentioned, it's just going to come down to that defence. The Roosters, they're going to be missing Jake Friend this week, uh, Angus Crichton as well. You know, they're probably not quite at full strength, but you know, any side that's got a back line with James Tedesco, Daniel Tupo, Josh Morris, Joey Manu and Brett Morris, it's going to be dangerous. And we saw Luke Keery on that right-hand side. Uh, that's going to be one to watch this year, I think. Probably for me, that right-hand side of the Roosters uh, really rivals the left-hand side of Penrith as the most dangerous attacking uh, side of the field in the competition. Yeah, I think the Roosters, the way that they play with that back five, Tom, they could have, you know, 18-year-olds playing from from 6 to 17. They'd probably still find a way to win. But uh, 18-year-olds like Joseph (laughs) Swell? Well, yeah, well, technically he's still 17, but yeah. But... um, yeah, I mean, that's just how good the Roosters are, so it doesn't get any easier for the Tigers. But, look, it's a good test and, I guess, a chance to see where they're at at this early stage in the season. And the final game of the round, obviously, we have two two round one winners in the Sharks and the and the Raiders, Tom. Look, I think this, obviously, the Raiders are rightfully going to go into favourites as this one. And, obviously, 
you know, the, the Raiders' defence is not the Dragons' defence, or I guess not a side that you would typically associate with making as many errors overall. Obviously, you know, we know they made 14 errors against against your mob last week. You wouldn't expect that to be the case again. Do you give the Sharks any chance in this one? It's going to be tough. I think that I'll be backing in the Raiders comfortably here. I think that, especially in the wet, they'll be looking to really just power through the middle with no Sean Johnson for the Sharks. I think they'll struggle to find that attacking spark. Obviously, as you mentioned, they made it look easy against the Dragons' defense, but you know, the Raiders are a completely different, uh, completely different outfit. I think that you know they're much more resolute in their defensive line. We saw them, you know, really repel the Tigers time and time again, especially during that first half on uh, Sunday. And uh, for Cronulla, it's really going to be up to guys like Will Kennedy and uh, the back line of Sione Katoa and Ronaldo Muatalo to match what is provided by Jordan Rapper and Bailey Simonson. So a nice little uh, play from Bailey Simonson to. Uh, set up Elliot Whitehead on the right-hand edge for Canberra. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a great battle between the, the back lines and, you know, one to, one to watch for on Saturday, Sunday night. Yeah, certainly will be. Look, I mean, the Shark has had, had some good moments and good plays with Will Kennedy. But, yeah, I mean, I, this Raiders side is probably, I think, although they're not at their best yet, I don't think I would put them, I guess, in that Roosters and Storm bracket just yet. Much, I think, at the moment... There's the two benchmark overall, and you've got about four or five other teams that on their day can do something. The Raiders are in that on their day team, but it's probably a game you're expecting the Raiders to win. And I mean, obviously nothing blowout, or sorry, nothing of a blowout proportion, but relatively comfortably. And I mean, I guess while we're on the Raiders, Tom, we know that there's a lot of conjecture, or there has been a lot of conjecture in the past about you know player pronunciations of the Islander players and you know, confusion as to how to correctly pronounce names. We got some clarity from the Raiders, which I guess is not something that you see very often from clubs, obviously. His name was formerly Josh Papali, now much like his his, na- his uh, last name namesake, but they're not related. It's now Josh Papali'i. Again, his name doesn't have the apostrophe in it, but that's what he wants to be called. And we've been calling the Raiders fullback Chance Nickel Klockstad since he started, even at the Warriors. And apparently his Norwegian grandmother told him, you're saying your, you're saying your last name wrong. So now it's Chance Nickel Klukster, which, I mean, even he was saying his, his, own, his own last name wrong, Tom. So it's, it was a lesson for him as well. Yeah, it certainly was. And I think it's good to see. I'm really surprised it's actually taken this long for a club to come out and do this sort of thing. I think, um, I know I've seen a lot of uh, commentary around it on Twitter during the week, but I don't know why we don't see the media managers for all the teams get each player in before the season to sit down and just video them uh, with the with their preferred pronunciation and uh, send it out to all the commentary teams that are out there, you know, and make it available for all the fans as well. It's a great move for the game, which is always looking to be more inclusive. And, um, you know, I think it's only a positive thing moving forward. Yeah, well, I think they used to have that in the the, um, the big league season guide would have, would have the player pronunciations both for... NRL and Holden Cup as it was back then. Obviously now it's a Jersey flag, but obviously now that it doesn't look like Big League's coming back anytime soon, there hasn't really been anything to replace it as such to to understand how to properly pronounce some of the names. And we only have to look at you know when you listen to the Kiwi commentators, whether it's Daryl Halligan or you know uh, Ruben Wiki or whoever's there, and you know like a, a name for the Eels that I would always remember people saying is they go oh, it's Takarangi. 
and then you hear the Kiwi commentator say it and it's Takarangi. So it's like straight away, you know, you can know the difference in how to pronounce it. Yes, like you said, it'd be great to see sort of clubs come on the front foot and, you know, I mean, I guess not even an individual sit-down, just do like a two-minute video to say, right, obviously, you know, you're, you're of an islander or European background, your name, your last name may be more difficult to pronounce. How do you pronounce it? And they just kind of rattled off one by one just to make things easier for both fans and commentators. Yeah, certainly. I don't know why we don't even see it incorporated on the websites. We could have little sound bites uh, under the player profiles where you know, have them uh, you know, with their preferred pronunciation or even just uh, written out. Uh, it'd be super easy to implement and something I think the fans and commentary teams and the players and their families would appreciate as well. So I think it's a definitely a win all around. Yeah, certainly is, that's for sure. And look, as always, there's news in rugby league. No real bad news this week, which is always a good sign, obviously. I guess we have to always have to mention the fact that there isn't any bad news because this is rugby league. Seems like pretty much every other week there is some. We're going to start with an interesting one, Tom, and this baffles me given how how good he was for the Cowboys in the absence of Jason Tamalolo at the back end of that 2020 season. Francis Molo is being let go to the Dragons. I mean, number one, that's a tremendous signing for the Dragons. And I guess alongside a guy like Pawasa Famalsili is a guy that is really going to help invigorate that pack and give them some more punch. But, I mean, I've seen Cowboys fans thinking, what's going on? Why are you letting this guy go? Yeah, 100%. You look at the Dragons, and we were mentioning in the preseason what a poor forward pack they have this season, how, how they were really going to need to beef it up if they wanted to uh, be able to you know, roll up through the middle of the field as they have in previous years when they've had the likes of James Graham and Tyson Frizzell running for them. I'm sure Paul Vaughan's going to appreciate the help. And on the other side, I'm sure uh, Jason Tamalolo will be questioning what the Cowboys recruitment staff are doing. You know, Tamalolo, time after time, has been asked to carry to put this Cowboys side on his back and carry them through the middle of the park. He was criticised for not doing it last week, but where's his help? You know, This man is essentially being expected to do it for the best part of the last five years and potentially is being expected to do it for the, you know, the next seven years. You know, you just can't do it. His body will just break down. It doesn't matter how good of a player you are. Unfortunately for North Queensland fans, it's not looking good up there. And I'm sure they'll be looking to hit the free market to find some replacements in the off season. Yeah, they might be, I mean, look, they might be looking at Peter Holler, who has been compared to Tamalolo, but, you know, I mean, he, he hasn't played anywhere near enough footy to even sort of draw those comparisons. But yeah, the Cowboys need to find something, someone to take the load off Tamalolo fast. Otherwise, it's going to be some more lean years for them. And, you know, obviously the Warriors are a team on the rise, Tom, as we mentioned, you know, season preview, even first round win against the Titans. Obviously, you know, good things from them. And they got some good news in the week with Tohu Harris resigning. Not a surprise. And he could, he's arguably is probably in their top three most important players, just given that, you know, he's versatile. He puts his head down, can play 80 minutes and just gets stuck in and does his, does his job. Yeah, certainly. I think I mentioned it in the season previews, but I have no doubt that he'll be uh, definitely on the cards to replace Roger Tilvasa-Shek as the next captain of the Warriors. That versatility fighting between the 12 and the 13 jersey is you know, invaluable to a side, especially in the current climate, uh, climate of the game when we've got HIAs, plays going down for the two-minute breaks now. Uh, the trainer has to stop play. So it's great to be able to have a guy that you can just inject into basically any position in the back row and uh, you know he's going to perform perform and do a job for you and uh, I'm sure Warriors fans will be ecstatic to know that he'll be there over the next few seasons it's been 
uh, you know, probably expected for the last couple of weeks that he was going to re-sign. So it's great to finally get the deal done. Oh, it is. I mean, he's such a joy to watch, that's for sure. And look, I guess the player that, you know, had a good first round performance of the Tigers, obviously still has that that previous eye gouge, I guess, saga lingering over him, but he's doing his bit to to buck that trend. Obviously, that's Hudson Young at the Raiders. He's re-signed as well, Tom. And look, I mean, I guess Elliot Whitehead probably has a few more years left in him at, at most. So being able to keep a guy like Hudson Young around for a couple of years after that is certainly a good sign for the Raiders. Yeah, definitely, especially when you consider what's of John Bateman. Yeah, I think that's a real underrated uh, loss for the, the Raiders this season. I think that everyone's talking about how they'll get Josh Hodgson back and how uh, valuable that will be to their attack. But, you know, John Bateman was a huge part, not only on the field, but off the field as well in that Raiders outfit. He was a real spiritual leader of the side. And Hudson Young, he was strong last weekend uh, against the Tigers, 12 runs for 117 metres. Uh, he looked good with the ball, nabbed a try as well. So, you know, it's great to see. Uh, him get an, an extension there, and I'm sure that Ricky Stewart will be looking to work with him on his uh, disciplinary issues because he could really become one of the top second rowers in the game with that power running game he's got. Yeah, he certainly can. Plenty of talent there, that's for sure. And look, I mean, I guess we're, we're going to end the podcast on, a, I guess, a, a colourful story, or it's what started out as a colourful story, I should say, and has sort of turned into a, uh, you know, a back-and-forth argument across Twitter, and Facebook and all social media in particular. Toby Rudolph, Tom, obviously, you know, I think we, we've certainly seen that he's a colourful character in the past. You know, we've seen GIFs and videos of him dancing around in, in a pair of budgie smugglers. Certainly is by no means a, you know, a, I guess like a six-pack kind of guy. You know, I, I think he he would tell you himself that that's not who he is. He's sort of, I guess, just your... I guess your typical man in terms of obviously he's big and he's, he's fit to play rugby league, but he's not a, you know, a Matt Cooper or, or a Nick Youngquest sort of model type, but, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. Post game in that win, he's talking to Matty Johns on the Matty Johns show. Brian Fletcher asks him a question, oh, what do you think you're going to get up to tonight? And he says, oh, probably have a thousand beers and then goes, oh, yeah, I might try and pull a thing or two and go to Northies, et cetera, et cetera. The NRL's come out and given him a warning for his comments, and I guess his comments have now created a a firestorm, I guess, if that's the right word to use on social media, Tom. <laughs> what do you make of it all? Yeah, I think this whole situation's been blown a little bit out of proportion. I think the formal warning by the NRL is just a little bit of a statement to say that they're not on board with his comments, but you know, if, if they really wanted to crack down on it, we would have seen a fine or a suspension there, and I don't think that that's required a, and I don't think the NRL think that that's needed, and I think they're, uh, they're happy to leave it where it is and move on. Obviously, it's good to see guys in our league not be robotic in front of the camera. About the first interview I saw all weekend where he didn't give a full credit to the boys, but... You know, that old one, cliche. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, from Toby Rudolph's perspective, he probably could have left it at a thousand beers and a trip to the Northeast. It really wasn't required, particularly in today's social climate. I understand the point of view where people are saying, oh, it's just a joke and there's nothing in it. But if you're Toby Rudolph, you're becoming a leader of the club. You know, you're, you're respected as a role model amongst, uh, you know, a number of children, not only in the Shire, but, uh, you know, across the country who watch rugby league. And, you know, it probably just wasn't wasn't needed. And, you know, it's safer to leave it out next time. I'm sure he will leave it out next time. And I think we can move on and, you know, get back to the footy. Yeah, certainly this has been a very uh, div- divisive topic and, Hey, look, we might all, might all end up with Darius Boyd type interviews where it's, it's one one answer, but if that's what it gets to, that's what it gets to. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, well, that wraps it up for another week of Take the Two. Obviously, we have an exciting round of football coming up, plenty of good games, plenty of teams with something to prove, and we'll be back here next week to dissect all the action once again and go over the news of the week.